Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, before we, well, thank you. You seem into it. Thank you for that. Uh, before we uh, start this new series, I wanted to do a couple of updates here as we kind of enter the new year and then give you a couple of invitations. Uh, the update really has to do with uh, some year-end stuff, uh, specifically our year-end giving. Now, we kind of threw that challenge out to all of us who are part of this congregation to say, hey, would you consider a year-end gift specifically uh, perhaps to our capital fund as we get ready to do some significant projects here. So I just want to thank you for those that contributed uh, to a year-end gift to our capital fund. Uh, really encouraging uh, response to that. So thank you. A number of just general year-end giving as well. So again, just super encouraging for me and for many of our uh, leadership core just to see the response of our congregation. But I specifically also want to talk about our Christmas Eve offering. If you are unaware, just real quick, the recap on that is that we have for several years on Christmas Eve uh, received an offering for a cause, something outside of our local church ministry here. Uh, we've done things overseas, we've done things with uh, alliance partners, we have done local projects, and this year we felt compelled to support our We Care ministry. So it was a closer to home uh, a year in which we kind of threw that challenge out to say, hey, let's see if we can can't uh, better equip our We Care ministry, which has really grown over the last few months, uh, not just the service that's happening downtown right now, but also uh, the delivering of, of household goods to people in our community who need a hand up. And so uh, we had this vehicle issue uh, that we've been using the, our church van and trailer, which is kind of cumbersome uh, to have to constantly uh, hook up and unhook and, and multiple times a week, uh, as well as we use that vehicle around here for a lot of our operations too. So we kind of threw that challenge out to say, uh, would you consider giving something toward this project? Maybe we can uh, better equip our ministry with a better vehicle. And a lot of you contributed to that, but I also know a lot of folks from our community who come on Christmas Eve also uh, contributed. So wide engagement on this, and I'm really delighted to tell you that on Christmas Eve, we raised over $56,000 uh, for this project. Yeah. So on Thursday, I had the privilege, along with one of my colleagues, of signing a check, and we purchased this uh, vehicle right here. Uh, pretty cool. So that is a 2019 Ram Promaster high roof cargo van that I think I could ride my motorcycle right in. Somebody asked me that. Um, so this is uh, great because we also had some excess funds that we can use for other operational needs and even to maintain this for a little while. So this is a, a far superior unit that we'll be able to use, our We Care team will be able to use uh, to do all kinds of great good in the community. So if you were a part of that, I hope you get some pride and joy out of seeing that today. So real quick, a couple of other announcements. Uh, in the next few days, I'm gonna host two membership gatherings, exploring membership, we call this a membership class. I don't like to use the word class because it's really like a membership small group. We gather together for a little bit more than an hour and just get to know each other and I kind of walk you through the whys and wherefores of membership. If that's something you'd like to consider, there's two opportunities next weekend right after this service, so about 11.15, 11.30 or so next Sunday morning. And then we'll also do one online the following week on the 17th. If you want to just sit at your dining room table or uh, lie in your bed, I don't care, just join us for Exploring Membership. But please register if you want to know more about that. And then for those of you who are parents with kids, uh, one of our next kids' nights is coming up at the end of the month on the 26th. Uh, 
Uh, this is something we're doing about every quarter or so, and the last one was a riot, and this one will be as well. But I want to encourage you already to register because there's a cap on a couple hundred kids, and it'll fill up, and it'll sort of sell out. We don't sell out a lot of stuff around here, uh, but this likely will register at spac.ca slash kids. I feel compelled to pray. Uh, as we start a new year together, as we start a new series, and I want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for God's provision. So why don't you join me if you wouldn't mind. So Heavenly Father, we uh, pause here for a moment to acknowledge your goodness. Thank you for what we've already acknowledged in this hour already where we've come to the table and acknowledged your sacrifice and sort of aligned ourselves one more time to live out of uh, our state as forgiven individuals because of your sacrifice. We thank you for the provision um, for our church uh, as we entered uh, a new year. Thank you for the amazing generosity of not just our church, but our community that came together uh, to do some good in uh, our greater metropolitan region. And now as we look ahead to the new year before us, I pray that um, this would be a year in which we enter it with a sense of expectancy, specifically even around these next few weeks as we study your word and as we look at the life of Moses. Father, uh, reveal to us what you would have for each of us in this series and prepare us to receive from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've ever wondered how we build a teaching calendar, it's one of my main responsibilities, though I don't do it alone. Our teaching pastors, other colleagues and staff and leaders assist, and we take uh, feedback from you as a congregation as well. So just to recap where we've been, we're starting a new calendar year, but our ministry year began in September, and we started out with the first of what we anticipate being 10 series on spiritual practices over the next five years, uh, two per year. We started out our fall with a series on Sabbath keeping, sacred practice of, of Sabbath keeping through that challenge out there. Then we moved into a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We called it Deeply Rooted, and a lot of great feedback from that one. That took us right up to Advent, where we joined uh, Christian uh, people from across the globe in celebrating Advent right through Christmas. After the series I'm starting today, we're going to do our second sacred practice at the beginning of February. We're going to go into a, a month-long emphasis on prayer. That'll be February. Um, March is when we'll start moving toward Easter. Easter is early this year. I'm not sure if you've looked at that, but it's late March. It's one of those years where Easter's early. So we're going to do some things to get us ready for Easter. So that gave us this window right here in January to do something else. And I really felt compelled to do something on the Old Testament. Uh, I, I, kind of how I roll. Old Testament, New Testament, book studies, a little bit topical study, a little variety back and forth. And I went into my um, kind of records and realized we had not talked about Moses for years, years and years and years. And Moses, of course, is a giant in the Old Testament. He's a huge, huge figure in the Hebrew scriptures. His story is famous enough. It's been made into movies and musicals. He's kind of a big deal. And so what this will be is sort of a character study where we'll rip through huge portions of text as we retell his story, and mostly we'll apply this teaching to the arena of leadership. Now, I want to just do something right at the beginning here, because I know talking about leadership is a little bit risky, because a lot of people I know don't think of themselves as leaders. Please, please, please 
resist any temptation to take the month off and say, you know, I'll kind of catch, prayer thing sounds good, I'll be back for that. Uh, I wanna, uh, even though we're gonna apply this to leadership, I wanna give you three reasons why I think this is applicable to every single one of you. First, Moses did not think of himself as a leader. If you don't think of yourself uh, as a leader, well, Moses didn't either. At best, he was a reluctant leader. And in this first message, I'm gonna base my comments on uh, the events which take place in Exodus three and four. And if you would go and read those on your own, you would see over and over again that Moses just keeps pushing back on God saying, I'm not the guy, I'm not who you think I am. You've, you've got the wrong person here. He gives excuse after excuse to God saying, I can't do this. Even at the end of chapter four, he says, can you plead anybody else, anybody other than me, somebody has gotta be better suited than I am. Some of you know that feeling. Many of you know that. I know that feeling of going, I can't, I can't do this, this is not me. So what we're gonna study the next few weekends is for anybody who's felt like they can't do something they sense they're supposed to do. If you've ever felt like you should initiate a tough conversation, if you've been recruited for something outside of your comfort zone, if you've been prompted to serve in some way that it's new to you, if you've been sensing God asking you to meet a need and don't really believe you can and you just wish like crazy God would send somebody else, this series is for you. I wanna plant an idea in your heart as we begin this. This is one of my core beliefs. A, a, a wise mentor said this to me when I was in my early 20s, and I've tried to live out of this reality ever since. His comment was, Greg, always assume that God is preparing you for something. Always assume that God is preparing you for something. If you think because we're talking about leadership, this teaching isn't for you, would you take those words to heart? God may be preparing you for something. It may not be some obvious public role. It might be some way in which God is preparing you to better serve your family or your friends. It may be something more dramatic, but for most of us, at minimum, God has something in mind for you in 2024. And so a wonderful prayer at this time of year is, God, would you show me what you have in mind for me in this next year? So among the reasons I think this series is for you is the one on the screen behind me. God is almost certainly preparing you for something and he may reveal that to you over these next four weeks. And here's a second thought on why this is worth your time and attention. Leadership may not be what you think it is. Uh, if when you hear the word leadership, your mind goes to some definition of leadership that maybe you, you, you got out of a, a book or some TED talk or something like that, somebody on, online with millions of views, I think the most comprehensive and maybe the most accurate definition of leadership is this one. It's real simple. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. If you are an influencer, you're a leader. And I don't mean influencer in the TikTok, Instagram-y sense. Um, social media influencers will nudge their followers on what to buy, what to wear, how to put on makeup, how to cook or something like that. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. If you are a parent raising a child, if you're a grandparent influencing grandchildren, if you have exasperated friends who are trying to do stuff like that, if you've ever tried to set an example on how to apologize or how to work or how to play, how to rest, how to study, how to plan, 
If you've ever come alongside someone and helped them overcome something, if you've had a hand in shaping someone's faith, if you've ever written an encouraging email or text or made a phone call like that, if you've just let your friends know, hey, I'm praying for you, you are an influencer. Leadership is influence. And then one more introductory thought about why this is worth your time. We all follow leaders. We all follow people. Just like pretty much all of us are leaders or influencers, we are all being influenced, and we should all pay attention to who's influencing us, who we're following. You should know whose example that you're following. You should have some mechanism for determining who's influencing your life and your decisions and your actions. So over the course of four weekends, as we study the life of Moses, we're going to be talking about the kind of character traits that we should look for in those we're following. This is a strong statement for this early in the series, but if the leadership traits on display in the life of Moses are not those that are on display in the people you're following, well, maybe you should find some better people to follow. So if nothing else, maybe this series will help you find some, some new leaders. So that's the introduction, that's the setup, but I, I just wanted to take the time to make sure you know why this matters. So in a moment, I'm gonna read 10 verses from Exodus 3. And as is my way, let me put this in context for you before we, we read it, because Moses' story in the Old Testament is massive. It stretches from the beginning of Exodus through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not every detail in those major works is all about his life, but that's, it's big and it's broad. And we've only got four weeks, so we're gonna do a lot of summarizing. So here's the backstory before we start to read Exodus 3, you got to know what happens in Exodus 1 and 2. So as Exodus begins, Israel is in captivity in the land of Egypt. Moses' people, the Hebrews, they're slaves. Egypt is building these massive infrastructure projects on the back of slave labor, on the backs of the Hebrews. But the Hebrew people living inside of Egypt under their rule are being fruitful, and they're multiplying, and their numbers are swelling, and they're beginning to equal, possibly even exceed those of their oppressors. And so in order to try to hang on to power, preserve power, the Egyptian pharaoh issues an edict that the Hebrew male babies should be executed. Yes, there's some dark stuff in this portion of the Old Testament. So that's what's going on when Moses is born. And so his mother decides to defy the law rather than turn him into the authorities. She attempts to preserve his life by putting him in the little basket and floating him in the reeds along the Nile River near the spot where the Pharaoh's daughter is known to bathe. And the plan works to perfection. The daughter of the Pharaoh, she finds the baby in the basket. He's very cute. She takes him home. And that's how Moses grows up effectively in the royal kind of palace. He's the son. He was basically raised as the son of an Egyptian Pharaoh. And so Moses grows up living among powerful Egyptians, but he knows his ancestry. And when he's 40 years old, time flies in these portions of scripture, when he's 40 years old, Moses witnesses a powerful Egyptian abusing one of his kin and he snaps. And in his anger, Moses goes after this Egyptian and kills him. And when the Pharaoh hears about this, he puts a hit out on uh, Moses. Moses is forced to flee. And so he gets on the run. He escapes from Egypt and he goes to a remote place, the backside of the um, Midian desert. 
And while he's hiding in the desert, Moses meets the priest of Midian, a shepherd named Jethro, or depending on the translation, Ruel. And Moses falls in love with and marries one of his daughters, Sipporah, and he settles in. And so for 40 years, Moses is a shepherd in the Midian wilderness. He's not in contact with any Hebrews or Egyptians. He's just completely out of pocket, way on the fringe of culture. He's minding his business, just another guy seeking to put food on the table and feed his family. And so as chapter three begins, Moses is 80 years old. Just don't... (laughs) Don't camp on that for a second. Like, don't miss that. 80 years old. There's one or two of you in the room right now who are 80 years old or north of that. Everything we know, almost everything Moses accomplished, almost everything we know about him takes place when he's north of 80. Just let that sink in for a minute. So now we're ready. That was basically Exodus 1 and 2. Let's read from Exodus 3. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. I'm going to partner with my teammate Brody on this series, and we intend to pull multiple leadership lessons out of the life of the life of Moses, and I'll give you three this morning from Exodus 3 and 4, and we'll just pick up from there next weekend and keep building. So here's the first of the many, many lessons we're going to glean from this. The first is that leaders are attentive to the voice of God. Leaders are attentive to the voice of God. Leaders listen to the voice of God. The English translation of the ancient Hebrew text that we just read says that God called to Moses from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, remember that part? And Moses responds with those three beautiful words, here I am, right here. Now the language scholars tell us that this is an expression loaded with feeling. It's quite emotive 
in the original language. There's a few teachers in the room. Uh, I don't know if you still do this on the first day of the fall in the class when you kind of stand before your class for the first time. This is how it was when I was a kid. The teacher would stand there with, your, with her, his or her class list and kind of look at the room and then they're kind of taking attendance but also figuring out who's who and they would rattle off the names one at a time, alphabetical order, you know, Bueller, Bueller, and you know, you're supposed to respond here or present, right? Like that's how it works. But if you remember this, this is how it worked for me. Some kid, there was always that one kid in the room, right? Who's gonna do something a little bit different. Who's gonna say, yo, or do something dramatic or say, yeah, that's me, or something to sort of establish themselves as class clown. And I know teachers, they can size up how the year's gonna be sometimes in that first five minutes, right? Oh boy, okay, that's the one I have to keep my eye on, right? I get, this is kind of how it works. Well, Moses is not really doing one of those class clown things, but he's definitely doing more than here. You should feel this one. This is, this is weighty. He, there's strong emotion here. Maybe some trepidation like here, but he is, he is dialed in. Now, if you know my teaching style, I try not to force the text to make it say more than it intends to say. I try to teach context and then try to draw appropriate modern application. I try not to be hyperbolic. So do what you want with this. But the extraordinary story of Moses, his life and everything we know about him, his dramatic influence in the world begins with a moment of attentiveness to the voice of God. This is where it starts, right here. Moses' leadership journey doesn't start with a degree. It doesn't start with, you know, executive coaching. It doesn't start because he read some Simon Sinek book. Like, it starts right here, just paying attention to the voice of God. Everything we credit Moses for, the exodus, the law of God, the law of God that's, that's still being used to, to form laws for nations today, principles that have permeated societies throughout the history of civilization, all of that stuff begins right here, the tabernacle, the, everything. It begins right here with Moses listening to the voice of God. I wonder sometimes what I've missed. There's an old lyric of a, of a song that a church that Crean and I used to be at, we used to sing this song called, He's Not Silent, We're Just Not Listening. I'm really convinced that God is speaking and I'm wondering how much I've missed because I've not been attentive. Do you ever wonder what you've missed? I wonder what I've missed by not quieting myself and subjecting myself to so much noise and stimulation and distraction, not focusing enough on what it means for me to hear the voice of God for me. So this would be a good time to reflect on how we discern the voice of God because that's a big question. Uh, if I think about the kind of questions that are real common for pastors, be it online or emails or down front here, there's a few questions that are, that are really common. The big one, the most difficult one is the, kind of the all-timer is why does God allow so much suffering? Like that's the big question, right? Um, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why, you know, why doesn't God step in? And I'm telling you, like, that's, there's no easy answer to that one. Like, it's, it's number one. So I don't know if this question is two, three, or four. It's probably top five, though. 
how do I know that it's God speaking and not the nachos I ate last night before bed? Like, how do we do, because it's not easy, right? So let me just tell you how I typically answer that question. That first question about why does God allow suffering, when I'm asked that, especially when it's like right down here and somebody's hurting, I, I think it's insulting to try to give a pithy answer. So I just try to be empathetic and, and lean in and say, yeah, I don't, I'm so sorry. I don't get it, I don't understand either. And you know, I struggle to answer that question. When I'm asked, you know, how do you discern the voice of God? How do you hear God speak? That one I actually feel a little bit competent on. I, I, more competent at least than the first one. Generally speaking, when I answer that question, when I, I, I'm speaking of my own lived experience, now I'm not speaking you know, authoritatively, but out of my experience, I suggest that God typically has spoken in my life in four different ways. First, I think God speaks through scripture. I think God speaks through uh, the word. I often remind my friends as I'm describing this though, that Christianity existed before the Bible, that our scriptures didn't birth our faith, that they are the result of our faith, and that the church of Christ grew explosively across the Roman Empire for a long, long time before we even had the Bible uh, that we have today and the, the way it's compiled. And so I describe then that I believe our scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. I believe they're authoritative but the imprint of humanity is all over the scriptures. The Bible as we know it did not drop out of the sky in its current form in English and bonded leather. It did not come to us in this way. Yet, no book has influenced my life more than the Bible. And no collection of writings has shaped our world more than our scriptures. And in a way I can't really easily explain, God's voice often cuts through intangible ways when I'm immersed in the scriptures. I hear the voice of God in the scriptures. And a lot of you would testify to that as well. That's number one. Second, it's been my experience that God speaks most clearly to me, probably, through other people who walk with Jesus and know me well. Those words are very specifically chosen there. God's voice has come through loud and clear through other people who walk intimately with Jesus and know me well. Almost every life-altering, course-directing decision where I have sensed God moving me or leading me or calling me to step out, I have been you know, vetting these sort of situations with wise counselors. I don't have time in this this message to tell you all my stories. If you wanna take me to lunch or coffee or something like that, I'll tell you some of those. Um, there's not like dozens of them, there's, there's just a few, probably you know, less than 10. But I've discerned the voice of God for me several times through wise counselors, mentors, people who love Jesus and know me well. That's number two. The third suggestion I have for you when discerning the voice of God, especially around matters of vocation, when you're questioning, you know, should I do something here? Is God nudging me to serve in some way or to take on this new challenge or move in some new direction with my life? I try to assess what I'm sensing and whether or not it's consistent with my gifting and my wiring. Here's what I mean by that. God is not calling me to be a professional singer. That ship has sailed. It's not gonna happen. Uh, God's not calling me to medicine. I'm not, I don't have that kind of scientific brain. Um, most of God's calls for me, 
when they seem, you know, like to, you know, kind of calling me out or something like that, they do seem to be consistent with my wiring and my gifting. And by the way, wise counselors can help here too. And finally, another way to discern the voice of God is promptings of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, sometimes God will just impress something on me. Sometimes a lot of you would testify this as well. Just out of the blue, you know, you get this sense, go here, go there, call someone, text someone, pray for someone, write a note, go up to that stranger and just talk with them and see how they're doing and just sort of see what happens. God's spirit does some pretty cool things like that, amazing things. And I bet if we put a couple of microphones in the aisles and we just sort of said, okay, let's start telling stories, we'd be here for the rest of the day because a lot of you know what it's like to just, okay, God, I'm I'm sensing you're asking me to do something here. I'm gonna go do it and amazing things happen. Now, one caution on this one. Of the ways to hear the voice of God, scripture, wise counselors, alignment with gifts and abilities and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, in my experience, hear me carefully, in my experience, this last one, just promptings by themselves, it's probably the least reliable. If that's the only one you got, um, there may be some times when you want to just get a little extra affirmation or some biblical support or some advice from some wise counselors. Sometimes discerning promptings is a challenge, but those, in my experience, are the primary ways that I think God speaks today. And so this is what I'm getting at when I say that leaders are attentive to the voice of God. Leaders are attentive to the voice of God. Two more, and these two will be shorter, I promise, okay? Leaders also look for the activity of God. They listen to the voice of God, and they look for the activity of God. And to support this claim, I take you back to verses two and three. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. The bush was engulfed in flames and didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. There's three phrases in there I love. Moses stared. This is amazing. I got to go see this. (laughs) I love that. Moses, what is that? This is amazing. I got to go see this. They all come from the same, all three phrases come from the same Hebrew root word, which means to see. So Moses looks for God's activity, and when he sees it, he moves toward it. He moves toward it. Outside of the scriptures, um, there's a few books, Christian books, that are, that are kind of considered classics. And on the subject of knowing and doing God's will, uh, there's a book that I know a bunch of you have read and benefited from. It's called Experiencing God uh, by Henry and Richard Blackaby. I think the first edition is from the late 70s, and it's been reprinted several times. It's still being sold. Countless churches have used this as part of their discipleship curriculum. A small group uh, curriculum has been uh, based on it. Uh, And then in the early 2000s, Henry Blackaby wrote another Christian classic leadership book called Spiritual Leadership, where a lot of that same material is put into uh, packaging for leaders. And I want to give you a quote from this book. This is a quote that I've heard in sermons probably 10 or 15 times. Uh, I've, used, I've heard this used several times because it really doesn't get any better than this. So check this out. This is from Blackaby and Spiritual Leadership. Ultimately, the Father, God the Father is the leader. God has the vision of what he wants to do. God does not ask leaders to dream big dreams for him or solve the problems that confront them. He asks leaders to walk with him 
intimately, so intimately, that when he reveals what is on his agenda, they will immediately adjust their lives to his will, and the results will bring glory to God. Isn't that great? So here's another way to summarize that, that fantastic quote. God is at work all around you, all the time. And when you see God at work, that is your invitation to join him and get in on what he's doing. That's what Moses does. He is just out in the middle of nowhere, minding his business, fulfilling his calling, which at that point is husband, father, shepherd. And then God drops something powerful and dramatic in front of him. He drops what he's doing immediately and he recognizes that God is up to something and he aligns his life with God's agenda. Sometimes, often even, it is the task of a leader to create plans and strategies and follow them and implement them and reap the benefits. You know, good things happen that way. That's how we function as a church. And we're going to start that whole process again here in just a few weeks as we do every year in the late winter as we head into spring. We dutifully make our ministry plans and our budgets and we dreams and we set goals and we evaluate and we reflect on last year and we kind of assess how we're doing. All of that stuff's really important and we'll do it again. Sometimes, sometimes, despite the good things that happen when we do all that, sometimes the best things happen when leaders scrap his or her plan adjust on the fly, and then just goes wherever they see God moving. Sometimes it works that way too. Leaders are always on the lookout for the activity of God. They're on the lookout for the activity of God. Last one, and then we'll be done. Leaders live in dependence on God. They listen, they look for the activity, and they live in dependence on God. Living to live dependently on God is going to be Moses' lifelong leading edge. At 80 years old, he's just getting started, and he'll spend another 40 years as a work in progress. And a lot of it is rooted in his humility and self-awareness. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that this message is really covering uh, Exodus 3 and 4, but I can't possibly cover all that's going on in these packed chapters. I challenge you, if you haven't read a Bible for a long, long time, haven't opened up a Bible app, and you maybe want to, at the start of the year, maybe I'll spend some time in the scriptures. Great place to start. Exodus 3 and 4. Easy reading. Meditate on it a little bit. And one of the things you'll see over and over is the lengths Moses goes to to try to convince God that he's not the guy. You'll identify with this. I know I do. I'll just show you one example. I didn't read this. This is from uh, Exodus 3 verse 11. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And there's a whole much more like that in chapters three and four. Moses starts uh, with that, then he goes to, you know, I'm a nobody, I'm not a leader. A bit later he says, what if people don't believe me? What if they don't really believe that you sent me? What do I say then? In another part he says, like, how do I even know who you are? Like, who are you? What's going on here? Now, some of his reactions are probably just plain fear. There's a little confusion here. What God asks of him would, would freak anybody out. But part of it is also just humility and self-awareness. Moses is old. He's never done anything like this. He's never done anything close to what God is asking of him. Moses knows he's not all that. He knows, like, I'm just a guy. I'm not, I'm not anything special. 
little bonus application here. Leaders who think they have it all figured out, leaders who think they have all the answers, leaders who don't think they ever make any mistakes, those are the leaders you ought to fear. I think we ought to fear those kind of leaders. Just a bonus thought. So here's God's answer, and here's where I want to leave you this morning. God's response is, I will be with you. And this is the sign that I am the one who has sent you when you've brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God at this very mountain. We'll come back to that. And we'll pick it up from here next weekend with 80-year-old Moses packing up his family and going back to Egypt for the first time in 40 years. And it's an awesome story. The events which take place between Exodus 1 and Deuteronomy 31 I really do think make Moses one of the greatest leaders in history. And we'll get there at the end of the month, but I'll give you a preview now. The same Moses who was weak and frail and confused and scared and unsure at the beginning has become almost a giant of a leader when he passes the leadership baton to Joshua. More on that later. But between now and then, maybe take up my challenge and ask God what he's preparing you for this year. And pay attention to where you see him at work. And when you see him at work, when you see him moving, move toward that and enjoy the ride. And remember, he will be with you. If you're able, why don't you stand with me? Then I'll close in prayer. I'll remind you one more time that as soon as we're done here, a handful of our prayer team members will be at the front. Look for the folks at the lanyards. And they would be delighted to lift you up and pray for you today. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for this great story. Thank you for the life of Moses who serves yet today as a living testimony, an example of what a yielded spirit to following your leadership can do. God, we're not gonna try, and think any of us, to lead a nation out of slavery. But I still believe you've got something in store for each of us in 2024. Help us to be attentive to you, to look for it and find it, to move toward you. And we cling to that promise that you are with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, everybody. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day.